0: You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Well, on more than one occasion when I was in college, um, I wound up on the floor at night by the toilet. But before I have to rebuke many of you who are thinking one thing, it had nothing to do with that I drank too much or something. I was there because I ate too much. It had nothing to do with drunkenness. It had everything to do with gluttony. And I want to affirm to you this morning that as human beings there is one throne on the face of this earth that any of us deserve or ought to sit on. And it is made of porcelain. But you do not want to wind up on the floor laying beside it. That means something is wrong. You don't want to be there. But I had this thing in my head at that point in my life. Um, You know, I worked with students, whether I was at like a a lock-in or I was at a party with my friends or, or whatever it was, there was something in my head that when I saw dessert, said, that is the last dessert on earth. Eat all of it that you can. There will never be any more. And so I would. I mean, plate full of brownies, three bowls of ice cream. I mean, whatever it was. I have a friend named Ken in Wichita and Ken's motto in life is, eat through the pain. And that's what I would do. But then the pain would come back and I would be there once again, telling God, and I know some of you've been there too, I'll never do that again, Lord, please just make this go away. And there I was again, couldn't control myself, had absolutely no concept of balance and moderation in my life in that area. Moderation is the avoidance of excess or extremes. It's the ability that we have to restrain ourselves. Balance, balance is keeping things in correct proportion. It's to keep or to put something in a steady position. And so I want to assert to you this morning that there is great wisdom in living a life of balance and moderation. Let me give you a few examples Let's start with coffee. Okay? I know y'all somebody's going, here he goes again. Coffee. Now, when I say the word coffee, I am talking about black coffee. All right? One to two cups, and that's eight ounces, one to two cups of black coffee a day. It has been scientifically proven that one to two cups of black coffee a day can potentially improve energy, improve brain function, burn fat, provide nutrients. It lowers your risk of type 2 diabetes and parkinsons. It can fight off alzheimers and dementia, dementia. It can fight depression, okay? Again, that's 2 cups of black coffee a day. That's not a cafe latte, or a triple shot of espresso, or a venti frappuccino, all right? That's two cups of black coffee. Now, if you take coffee to an excess, for instance, I know a man in Wichita, and I don't know if this is still the case, but for many, many years, this man that I knew very, very well, during the work week, would drink anywhere from 10 to 15 cups of coffee a day. We could maybe say that would be excessive. Um, excess of coffee, even the good kind, can cause insomnia, which you're like, duh. Uh, anxiety, uh, irritability, it can cause heart tremors, all sorts of negative things, all right? So there's a difference with balance and moderation all right let's take chocolate all right now i'm going to pick on even more of us and when i'm talking about chocolate i'm sp- specifically talking about dark chocolate not milk chocolate or white chocolate whatever that is but dark chocolate i'm not saying it doesn't taste good white chocolate but i just don't think it's chocolate Dark chocolate, 45 grams of dark chocolate a week. It has been scientifically proven. Can potentially lower your risk of stroke, lower your LDL, which is your bad cholesterol. I'm getting an amen on that one. Uh, It can fight diabetes, improve energy and blood flow. It can even improve your vision. But when you take chocolate into the realm of excess... You can very, very obviously begin to fight weight gain. You can fight sugar complications, which can ultimately lead to diabetes. It can cause anxiety. It can cause gastrointestinal problems. It can give you high potassium. It can cause irritability, insomnia, all sorts of things. There is wisdom in avoiding excess and extremes, of being able to practice restraint. There is wisdom in keeping things in correct proportion in life. There is wisdom to balance and moderation. Now, that said, balance and moderation are not ultimately our goal, okay? They are byproducts of a much greater spirit-given gift. Balance and moderation are byproducts of self-control, okay? And so the wisdom of balance and moderation is found in the fruit of self-control. The wisdom of balance and moderation, we find that when the fruit of self-control begins to come out in our life. So this morning, we're going to take a look at what King Solomon has to say about this part of our character and how this wisdom makes a difference in our lives. Look with me in Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs 25. And take a look at verse 16. Solomon says, If you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it, And vomit it. Look at the way that the New Living Translation words it. It says, do you like honey? Well, don't eat too much or it'll make you sick. If King Solomon was to have walked past the bathroom door one night and saw me laying there on the floor by the toilet, he might have stuck his head in and said, hey, Brian, when you see those brownies, maybe just eat one or two. Okay? Or else you're going to be laying here again, moaning and groaning in pain. And save some for the rest of us, you gluttonous hog. (laughs) He would probably say that to me because that's exactly what I was. Keep going with me here. Look further in in Proverbs 25, verse 27. Solomon reaffirms what he's already said. It's not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. I know this sounds like stating the obvious, but self-control is the ability to control oneself. But other people have tried to take a stab at defining self-control, and there are some theologians who've tried to take a stab at it from a biblical standpoint. I want to share a couple of these definitions with you. A man by the name of D.G. Kell. He words it like this. Self-control is the ability to avoid excesses, to stay within our reasonable bounds. But then George Bethune, who wrote a commentary on Proverbs, he puts it this way. Self-control is the healthful regulation of our desires and our appetites, preventing their excess. Now, I want to give you My version of this definition. Here's what I think self control. Self control is our wall of defense that we have against the passions, the temptations, and the sin of our flesh. Self control is a wall of defense against the passions, temptations, and the sin of our flesh. And the reason why we all need self-control is because we all have a tendency to overindulge our appetites. You go back into George Bethune's definition, and he says it's the healthful regulation of our desires and our appetites. An appetite is a strong desire or liking for something, and the definition actually says comma, usually food, okay? It's a craving that we have. Now, there are certain things that I eat for one reason and one reason only. I know that they're good for me. That's it. I eat squash. Uh, I eat zucchini. I didn't even know what these things were until I started dating my wife. And my mother-in-law, for probably various reasons, decided she wanted me to begin eating them. And she knew I wasn't going to. So she started tricking me. And she would put them in things and I wouldn't know it. Well, then slowly she let me know, you just ate squash, you know. And I would be like, oh, hey, well, so it wasn't that bad. So then I started eating it and knowing it, but mixed with other things. Now I eat it all the time. But I'll put it with things like bell peppers and mushrooms and onions, things that I like, because you just don't really taste it. But here's the thing. There's never been a day in the history of Brian Mayfield's life that I have woken up and said to my wife, can we have squash tonight? Mm." Now see, I think my wife is weird because she actually craves things that like I may eat them, but only because I know they're good for me. Like she wants to eat Brussels sprouts. Come out. and, and I'm just like, I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't crave those things. I don't crave beets. I, mean, I crave pizza. I crave five guys all the time. Uh, I crave chocolate, all kinds. Those are the things that I crave, okay? And it's our cravings, our appetites, where all of us are tempted to lose self-control. I, I can just assure you, there will never be a day I'm talking to any of you and I'm repenting to you that I would gluttonously shove my face full of squash. The day will not come. That's not what I crave, all right? What was the first thing that Satan tried to tempt Jesus with in the wilderness? Food. And now we look at that and we go, okay, so Jesus was like us. ah, eh, sort of. Why did he tempt Jesus with food? Maybe because Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. Jesus probably at that point had an appetite for anything, bread. And that's exactly what Satan said. Hey, turn these stones into bread. See, I go like four hours. And uh, I, I admitted this in the first service, so I'll tell you. There was a day at camp that everything was like running behind a little bit. Well, that was probably every day at camp. But one of those days, I'm out setting up for recreation and I'm realizing recreation is going to go plowing right through the deadline for when lunch is supposed to start. And I texted Chip like, you know, this better get a move on because I'm going to start chewing on my arm. I said that. Maybe you have said that. We, we use words like, I'm starving. And, and we don't know what starving is. And, you know, I have a condition, and I think that some of you may have this as well. I have what's called hypoglycemia. So I have to eat like every once in a while, or my sugar goes a little wacko, and I get irritable. And irritable is probably a conservative word. But I think that I like to blame about 75% of stuff on hypoglycemia when, to be very honest with you, it's just a lack of self-control. It's just a lack of being able to say, I'm going to handle this because I have the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. When you read the scriptures and you come across the phrase self-control, there are two translations that kind of lay over the top of one another to make one big definition. The first translation of self-control in the scriptures talks about what we would call sound judgment. So this is control over your thoughts, your actions. Well, then there's another translation of self-control that's talking more about inner strength. So this is control over your passions, your desires, your emotions. Well, when you lay those one on top of another, what you understand is that self control is not only the discernment of what I should do or I shouldn't do, it's also the discipline to act on that discernment. So, again, self control is not only discernment, it's discipline. The discernment to know I should say this or I should not say this, I should do this, I should not do this, and then the discipline to act. On that discernment. I want to look with you this morning at a few things that Paul says in regards to self control. Let's start in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? but only one receives the prize. And so let's go off of of, of our message this morning and take just a second to affirm this. It's a biblical principle, folks, that not everybody should get a trophy. Okay? Somebody's going to win, and they're what we call the winner, meaning that there are also losers. Sometimes you're going to lose. You learn through that. Can I get an amen? Okay, praise God. Back to it. So, run that you may obtain it. There's going to be a winner. Run, play, compete like you want to win. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Paul is not saying that that's a reality, but what he is saying is any athlete that wants to win will exercise self-control. But now here's the important part. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. They do it to receive a temporary reward that's going to burn away. We do it for an imperishable. We do it for an eternal reward. So, because of this, I do not run aimlessly. I don't box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul is affirming here that if I can't keep control over my body, over my actions, I most certainly will not have self-control over my mind and my spirit. Paul is not saying that one comes before the other or that one is more important than the other. They're all important. But what Paul is affirming as well is is that when we lack self-control, if you look back at what King Solomon said in Proverbs 25:28, that we are like a city broken into without walls. You know that a city during that day and time who didn't have a wall had no defenses. Paul is saying, "Don't you dare be a person without defenses." He goes on, let's look in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Look carefully how you walk. You remember in 1 Corinthians, Paul said, I do not run aimlessly. Another translation of these verses here in Ephesians are be careful, be intentional about how you live. If, if your life, if my life is not lived with intentionality, it will most certainly not be lived with self-control. I think every one of us would affirm self-control is not something that just randomly or accidentally happens in our life. It is a decision that we make. Turn a couple more pages over into 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In verse 3, Paul says, This is the will of God, your sanctification. It is God's will that if you, that if I am a follower of Jesus Christ, that I am constantly being purified, refined, that I am constantly being made holy, that I am being sanctified. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you would abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. The reason why balance and moderation are so vital in the life of a Christ follower is that they are evidence of self-control. Balance and moderation in my life are evidence of self-control in my life. And self-control in my life is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And it's also a byproduct of the sanctification that Paul is talking about here with the Thessalonians. That through my thoughts, through my words, through my actions, that self-control is being evidenced. Now let me say this. We need balance and moderation in our lives, yes, for what it does for us. In all kinds of areas. Let me rephrase it. We, we could say that we need it for the reward that it brings us. But way more than that, you and I need balance and moderation because of what it reveals about us. We need it because of what it's revealing about us. And that is that we have self-control and that self-control is revealing something else about us. Look with me in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 verse 12. Paul says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, But not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And now listen to verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You see, when you and I practice self-control through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are giving evidence to not only other people, but to ourselves that we are children of God. And I don't know about you, but every day of my life, I need the affirmation that I belong to him. And that's evidenced when the fruit of self-control starts growing In my life, I want to ask you this morning to prayerfully consider do you have self control? And now we've kind of picked on food this morning because that's probably the area where most of us commonly struggle with things. But that is by no means the only area of our lives where at times we may fight or we may lack self control. Some of us here this morning, it may be in the area of anger or our temper. Some of you right now, you have a device with you this morning. And you've lost all self-control. A better way to ask this question is, if you go back into Ephesians chapter 5, after Paul has has said what he does in verse 15 and 16. He comes around in verse 18 and he says this to us. You and I are to be slaves to absolutely nothing other than the Holy Spirit. Are you a slave to anything other than the Holy Spirit? Am I a slave to anything other than the Spirit of God? Because if I am, there is much evidence there that I probably lack self-control. But see, here's the good news. In 2 Timothy, probably the very last letter that the Apostle Paul ever wrote, he writes to his disciple, Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul tells Timothy, The Father has not given us a spirit of fear. We don't have a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit of power, of love and self-control. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit has come to take up residence in you, you have full access to the spirit of God and to the fruit of that spirit. And we're told in Ephesians chapter 5, excuse me, Galatians chapter 5, that part of the fruit of that spirit is self-control. We have all access to it. The victory's already won there, but you and I, we have to learn through the power of the word and the power of the spirit to take hold of it, to seize it and grab it. We're only going to find balance and moderation, the kind that we need, through self-control. And we're only going to live a life of self-control, real self-control, when our lives are surrendered to and controlled by the Spirit of God. But let's wrap up with this. Ultimately, we don't practice self-control so that we will find balance and moderation. Balance and moderation are not the goal. Again, going back to what we said a few minutes ago, they're a byproduct a byproduct of self-control. But self-control is not the goal either. Self-control, remember, it's the evidence of who we are and who we belong to. We practice self-control through the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace and strength of our Lord Jesus Christ, so that our lives will bring glory and honor to the Father. I want to go to bed at night and know that I've had control over my thoughts and my words and my actions, not so that I can go, man, my life is balanced. That really means nothing. But because I want to know that my life has made an impact and is honoring and bringing glory to the one who bought me with a price. I want to close this morning by reading to you from Titus. I want to ask you just to bow your head. Paul writes to Titus, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Lord, this morning we pray that you would give us a hunger and a desire to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Lord, give us a hunger for the eternal reward, not the temporary. Lord, give us a longing to be purified by you and for you. I want to encourage you right now maybe to take a moment and ask the Lord, Lord, is there an area in my life where I desperately need the self-control that only you can provide me? And very likely the Holy Spirit has already placed his finger on that area. I just want to encourage you Maybe first and foremost, to just say, Lord, I just want to confess. Not only that I have sinned in this area, but Lord, I want to repent. I want to leave it at the foot of the cross, but I also want to take up that cross. Lord, I want to die to myself. But let's recognize and remember this morning. Psalm 119 tells us that how we live that purified life, how we live that life surrendered to the Lord is by living according to his word. And the writer of Psalm 119 goes on to say, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. May we never try to be the people of God without living our lives consumed by the word of God and the spirit of God. May we never seek out self-control so that God will love us more. But because we already, we know that he is fully and completely loved us in Christ. I want to encourage you this morning, whatever the Holy Spirit's leading you to do, that your response to him would be yes. Yes, Lord. We have the opportunity in a moment as we worship to take communion there are tables in the front and the back of the room and this is a time for the people of God to take the bread and the cup and remember that Jesus gave his body his life and shed his blood for us so that we might live that we might have eternal, abundant life. I want to encourage you, whether you come by yourself or with a friend or with your family, that you take a moment to very prayerfully, carefully, intentionally remember why we take that bread and that cup. Lord Jesus, we exalt you praise you your name is above all names you're the only one worthy of our praise we surrender our lives to you this morning be glorified in this place